This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Green and White brought to you by Argo Life. This is going to be some challenge. I've somehow got to fit Halloween, Guy Fawkes, Storm Cure and five-year plan puns all into one intro. So here goes. Fireworks at Home Park mean we will always remember, remember the 4th of November of Coburn and Greenwood burning brightest for the visitors. But Mumba, Azaz and Whitaker whip up a storm to complete a six-goal thriller. We'll talk scarily good teamwork, a wicked game full of tricks and treats, discuss the delayed departure of the Wayne train and, in the words of Simon Hallett, big hairy ass goals. Joining me on the airwaves tonight is Graham. How are you? Fine, thank you. Good. Sam, how's things? Very good, thank you. And back, properly back, Joe Bell. You did remarkably well there. It's always the easiest intros you manage to screw up and you've managed to get that one spot on. Top work. Thank you. Joe, whilst you're on, whilst you're unmuted, why don't you just run us through the three or draw with Middlesbrough first? How long have we got? We've got an awful lot of questions tonight, to be honest. Yeah, Stark Raven Bonkers was my couple of words summary post-game. Um, from the first whistle, it was like two alpha male rutting stags going head-to-head head against each other in the middle of nowhere. Both sides went at each other hammer and tongs. Um, there wasn't a huge amount of excellent defending on show, I think, for both teams, really. I thought... We should have been 1-0 up inside a matter of minutes when, when Mumba overplayed um, when he's thrown goal. And the game just, after a frantic start, settled down. Borough managed to get the lead, which then just seemed to rattle Argyle a little bit. But then as the half grew on, we grew stronger. And it's a wonderful team move for our first goal. Um, almost everybody who you'd want to be involved in an attacking sense for Argo was involved in one way or another. And it's a cool ball through from Azaz for Barley Mumba, who makes no mistake at the second time of asking. And then as Stephen Schumacher's Argo does so many times, once you get one, you, you get a second almost immediately. As soon as it left Finn Isaac Azaz's boot, 
that was in the back of the net. There was absolutely no doubt in my mind. It was an unbelievable strike. 2-1 at half time, probably on the balance of play. We were just about, I would say, in receipt of what we deserved from the first half. I thought we possibly marginally edged it. But the one thing that was apparent is there was nothing in the game. Um, and there was also absolutely no way in hell that game was finishing 2-1 to Argyle. And unfortunately, we seem to have this knack, and I don't know whether we are going to end up talking about it tonight or not. We may well now that I've mentioned it. We just had this knack of starting halves really slowly. And we were so slow out of the blocks. We allowed wave after wave of Middlesbrough pressure onto us um, with no real outlet to get us forward. And then a absolute cock up at the back gives them the way back into the game. And they did exactly to us what we did to them. A couple of minutes later, they go and take the lead. And you're thinking, well, the, the writing's on the wall here. But there's always in the back of your mind that this game's been so crazy, there's no guarantee it's going to finish 3-2. Lo and behold, we get a free kick and nobody touches it. goes into the back of the net. The heavens open. It becomes biblical. You know, I was getting flashbacks to Bolton a couple of years ago under Ryan Lowe. I thought we were going to have a farcical ending. And in a way, we did have a bit of a farcical ending. But if anything, the, the rain and the conditions sort of took the sting out of the game for both teams. Neither team could really get up ahead of steam at that point. Having said that, Jordan Houghton probably had the best chance in the final 15 minutes when he put his boot through one and the keeper somehow, I've no idea how he's managed to get it over the bar. He completely misjudged it um, and put it out for a corner. But all in all, I think anyone who came away from Home Park yesterday, no matter which side of the fence you were on and said they were disappointed, regardless of what the result was, if anyone said they were disappointed, they they should look in themselves in the mirror because that was an unbelievably entertaining afternoon of football. Had the on had you on the edge of your seat from the first minute, you couldn't take your eyes off it. Credit to both teams. Yet again, we scored three at home park, which is um becoming a bit of a habit. Oh, I think that's a pretty fair summation of the game. First half, I thought we did more than edge. I thought we were pretty magnificent. Some of our play working it out from the back. I remember one move, and I think it involved nine of our players. One touch play ended up with Whitaker taking on and getting the corner, which if that was premiership, you all be lauding it. And it was Argyle, and it was fantastic. I know some people worry about playing out the back, and I know Dan Scar's mistake caused the second goal. But when you see it played so effectively as we did yesterday, it's wonderful to watch. I mean, particularly uh, Miller and Mumba have got quite a good understanding with Azaz in those triangles, and then they ping it out wide. And we we look out of his side when we play like that. Azaz's goal, I, I, I sit on the halfway line in the Linda, so I was literally right behind it. And I, the second he hit it, I knew it was in. You could see the curl on it going in the top corner. And I got so excited, my Apple Watch asked me if I was all right and if I needed emergency assistance because it was that good. But um, and, and and to be fair, Mumby's first goal, the first goal was a cracker as well. And the third goal, I said to the guy next to me, I think he can bend this right in. And that was the most perfect delivery of a free kick. Any touch, it was a goal. And in the end, nobody touched it and it was still a goal. It was, impec- I mean, again, premiership quality delivery and we got the result that we, we deserved. And if Jordan Houghton had just put it 
one yard either side of the keeper, it would have been a 4-3 win and we'd be lauding it even more. But no, fantastic. Great advert for the championship. Edge of the seat stuff. Anxiety ridden all through the game. That's what the season's been. It's been brilliant. Yeah, I'm sure we'll talk more about our Premier League qualities later on when we talk about the five-year plan. Uh, Sam, how did how did you find this one? Probably agree with most of what Graham and Joe have said. It was a very entertaining game of football. Two sides who played very well on the day. I think give some credit to, to Middlesbrough. I think as good as we were, that sort of 20, 25 minutes spent at the start of the second half, they they completely put us to the sword and blew us away during that period of time. And I think credit to Schumacher for sort of stemming that constant flow of attacks that was coming because that that spell of the game, they were they were fantastic in some of the football they played. Um, I think going back to the 3-4-3 and, and bringing on Randall, it just shook them up a bit. It was areas of the pitch were filled that maybe weren't filled before. We, we had a bit more on, on the counter that we didn't maybe have before. Um, and, and I think that just put Middlesbrough back onto the back foot. And the last 15-20, I think we looked the more likely team to get a winner, certainly after 3-3. Um, we, we, we were really pressing. I think the first half, we were the better team. And obviously, they say football's a game of two halves. So I, I sometimes quite like watching basketball. And obviously, that you have you have um, four quarters. And I think if you would look at it in a, in, a, in a basketball sense, I think Middlesbrough completely dominated the third quarter. But I think Argyle had the better of the first, second and fourth quarters in, in the game. So, yeah, I think on balance, the draw was a fair result. But we dominated more spells of the game. But Middlesbrough's one spell of dominance was more overwhelming than any of our spells of dominance. So on balance, the draw, a fair outcome, I think. Um, yeah, Bally Mumba, great to see him get a goal. I, I did say on the podcast fairly recently, and I wanted to see more from him in terms of output. And in the last couple of games, he's got an assist at Ipswich, an assist yesterday, nice little backheel for his lads, and of course his goal. So full full credit to him for that. He, he He's producing. Um, he probably should have got another one after after doing all the hard work and magnificently dancing through their defence in the first couple of minutes. He then produced quite a scruffy finish um, that he took, took, took too late to shoot. Should have been one nil up. Uh, but then he made up for it, scoring when he did. And, um, and yeah, involvement in, in the Islam squad as well. Although naturally, you know, 99% of the credit for that one does have to go to Finn Islam because as Graham said, it was a completely extraordinary strike. Um, goodness knows how he... He, he, sort of, he sort of danced uh, to get to the inside of the defender to get that great sight of goal. And, and even then, even when he does get that sight of goal, it's not an easy shot. He's got to get some real curl on it. And, and he did. And it was a wonderful goal. And yeah, obviously then um, Dan Scar, not his proudest moment, um, or not his proudest few moments leading up to the, the second goal, um, gives the ball away twice and gives away a penalty. Cooper saves the penalty, but the rebound couldn't have fell much nicer to Coburn. Um, I think in a way, this may sound like a bit of a, you know, contrarian opinion maybe and I think that that the penalty was almost so bad it was good in the sense that if it was a bit more to the corner Cooper would have maybe fully got two hands on it and palmed it away because it was a bit too central as daft as it sounds Cooper almost dived too much and almost saved it with his kind of his upper arm he, he didn't get that full connection on it to really push it away as he might have done and as a result of that, because he, because it was so central and Cooper didn't really get the full connection on it, it then bounced back so easily to Coburn, which is frustrating. And it, it's I'm reminded of what Ben said of bounces of the ball just not quite going our way. Um, that was one of them. But I think a bounce of the ball, I mean, obviously then they went three to up in that spell of dominance, and a bounce of the ball that very much did go our way was the third equalising goal. Um, it was a good delivery, 
but I think on a on a drier surface, I don't think it would it would have skidded in off the pitch as it did. And I think the goalkeeper might have been able to get across his line a bit better. I think if ever there was, if we talk about wind assisted goals. If there was ever such a thing as a rain assisted goal, I think our our third goal was it, which is not to take away too much from the delivery from Whitting, but I think it was a good delivery, and, and someone could have very easily got on the end of it and bundled it in. But as Graham said, thankfully in the end, nobody needed to to bundle it in. It just sort of skidded in off off the pitch. So and, and then we 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 did we then definitely looked a better side after three three. I think Middlesbrough really have too much after three three. I could be forgetting something, but we we had the Houghton chance and we had a lot of other times where we just got it into good positions but didn't quite get the shot away. So yeah, draw a fair result. And um going back to the very start of the game as well, I should add, um at one nil down. Um, I've not, it's something I've not seen a lot of people talk about, really. An absolutely magnificent save for Michael Cooper um, to, to prevent it going to 2-0. A real sort of point-blank reflex save to, to push it away, um, which, you know, if we go 2-0 down, you know, and I know we did score three goals, so you never know, but the statistics show going 2-0 down, your chances of winning, the get, of winning the game or even drawing the game at that point become pretty slim. So that was a, a, deci- a decisive, decisive save from Cooper um, that kept it at 1-0. So, yeah, uh, fair result. Two teams playing good football. Yeah. Maybe just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping this isn't negative enough for Joe to tell me to look into the mirror, but just a little bit frustrating. Once again, it's a tight game that we didn't quite get three points out of. Like I felt, I feel I've said on every damn podcast I've been on this season that it was a tight game. We played well and didn't quite get three points. So I am a little frustrated about that. But, yeah, good performance and a decent point. Yeah, I think between the three of you, you've done pretty well there. Only Sam's answered my Michael Cooper question. So we're getting better at this. We're getting much better, which is great to see. A few, obviously, we asked for people's opinions at full time. Uh, Lewin Reed says, we know we can play nice stuff. Good to see goals coming from it now. However, we can't keep shipping this amount of goals, especially at home. Time to bring in Pleggy full time. Uh, Jazzy B says, too many defensive mistakes. Flawlessness is more important than excellence, unless you're going for top six. Rob Chadwick says all of our games are entertaining for the neutral. I prefer much tighter in defence. Top 10 or better going forward. Relegation fodder at the back. Um, I'm sure Joe's eyebrows will perk up at that one. Stephen Bench has very entertaining game against a good team. Shame we didn't get Coburn. He outmuscled most of our team today. Well earned point overall. Some defensive questions. Also questions on Wayne. Wasn't in the game at all. Maybe we should give Freddie a start, but obviously we have Leeds up next. So I'm not sure that's going to happen. John Big says, superb game, high level of quality for both bar the defensive balls up for the pen. Coburn would have been a great addition. Can see why we waited on him. Big shame missing out. Yeah, basically on that then, the the changes to the starting lineup. Um, Injuries to Ryan Hardy and Mustafa Bundu opened up an opportunity for Ben Wayne to lead the line from the start. Joe, what did you make of his performance? Right, to toe the party line or to be partisan, that is the that is the quandary here. You've got to judge him on him. This is going to sound really strange, but there is method behind my thinking. You've got to judge him on him being Ben Wayne. We can't be sitting here judging him on Ben Wayne being Ryan Hardy or Ben Wayne being on the snippets we've seen of Mustafa Bundy. You've got to judge him for what he is. I would argue I haven't seen enough of him starting to necessarily know what he's capable of. I don't know what his strengths are. I don't know what his weaknesses are. It's clear from the the Leighton Orient games and the Crystal Palace games that he does have an eye for goal when he gets a chance. And unfortunately, just with the way the game was played on Saturday, he never got a chance. Uh, I don't know whether 
I might be missing something, but I'm not actually sure whether or not his first touch was actually kicking off after Middlesbrough had scored. No, it was his second touch. His second touch, there you go, was kicking off after Middlesbrough had scored, and that was on the 19th, 20th minute, whenever it was. So all in all, it was a fairly ineffective start for him. But I did stress to all the people who sit around me on Saturday, Ben Wayne's Argo career was not going to be defined by 75 minutes against Middlesbrough yesterday. It's going to be defined over the course of the rest of this block of games where he is our only option, essentially, to play that position. I know we're probably going to end up filling in here or there if if things don't improve, but you know, we've got to give him a chance. It was it was a far from ideal game for him yesterday. What I will say, I know it's going a little bit off topic, the response on social media when we found out that Bundu and Hardy were out and it was going to be Ben Wayne, I thought was incredibly poor from the Argyle faithful. You know, I thought we'd have learned our lesson before on writing players off before we've actually seen them play properly. You know, I clipped up the Schumacher talk he gave after Cosgrove scored two at Derby last year when we signed Bundu because everyone was moaning that, you know, nobody had ever heard of Bundu and we signed this lad who's played for Hereford and Newquay. You know, just give the lads a chance, for Christ's sake. You know, Wayne hasn't had a run of games he had, what, one start last year at Hillsborough and that they put him up against six foot nine Aidan Flint, for Christ's sake. <laughs> Anyone would have struggled against him. Give the lad a chance. He's going to have a couple of games now. You know, I expect he'll start at Ellen Road on Saturday. And who knows, it might be a totally different ball game for him. I don't have enough knowledge of what his strengths and weaknesses are to probably tell you whether or not that was an authentic Bainwain performance. It was just, a, it was a steady six out of ten. There was nothing disastrous, but there was nothing to get me on the edge of my seat. Yeah, sorry. I said I would go around in the same order, but I, I'm not. Um, Sam, you said on last week's pod that you weren't too sure on Wayne. How, how do you, how do we involve him in the play more? It just For me, it just felt like we haven't seen enough of him because he was just far too isolated. He just needed support up there. Yes and no. I'm going to give a slightly contrary view on that. Um, was, it, was that the ideal game for Ben Wayne to, to play? No. I think the Sheffield Wednesday game would have been far better because it was a game where we were more dominant, there would have been more balls going into the box, more chance for him to get into the goal-scoring opportunities, which we know he can score from um, based on the cup games um, and based on on his his career in Australia. We know he can be a bit of a poacher. Um, However, that being said, I don't... Football is not a a static game. It's not like table football where where the players stay in the same spots the, the whole time and you just have to get it to them. It is kind of incumbent on the striker to bring himself into the game as well, which which he didn't. Um, I think Ryan Hardy is 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 not a Niall Ennis type. Ryan Hardy is not someone who will drop deep, play superbly with his back to goal and link up play. That that's not his game. Ryan Hardy is very much a front to goal, making runs, getting in behind, and 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 scoring goals type of player. That being said, even though Ryan Hardy is a player who trends against that style of play. He will, when he has to, get involved in that. He, he will come deep occasionally, offer the right runs to the channels occasionally um, to, to, you know, to then bring others into play and make crosses into the box. He won't just be totally, uh, you know, static. Um, unfortunately, Wayne didn't do any of that. Um, I think, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I could be missing some, but I, I think I counted he touched the ball, I think, about four times in the first half. One was uh, quite a, you know unfortunate sort of bounce off his, off his leg. One was obviously the kickoff, as, as we mentioned. Uh, the other two were, were, to be fair to him, quite good touches. One of them, he played it off their defender and won a corner. 
and one of which I think was quite a nice ball out to Whitaker and a bit of space. You know, whatever. Not nothing disastrous done in those four in those four touches, but you've got to bring yourself into the game more than that. You've got to come and offer. You've got to make the right runs into the channels. I think too often he just misjudged where a ball was going. Um, he he went you know went the wrong side of the defender or didn't quite time his run at the right time. And unfortunately, that that's all part of the knack of it. When a striker is is so uninvolved in the game as he was, I I don't think you could put that down to a lack of service. I think you have to put it down to him him not quite having the having the aptitude to play at this level, unfortunately, as I've, as I've alluded to before. All that being said, would I would I still start him at Eden Road? Probably yes, because I don't know quite who else there is. Yes, Whitaker came central, but I don't think Whitaker was a lot better in that role. I know he scored from that role, but it was from a free kick, and obviously he would have taken the free kick wherever he was playing on the pitch. So that doesn't really count as a as a success of moving him centrally. So Whitaker wasn't really involved. And I think the issue of Whitaker moving inside is you take him away from the wide role where he is brilliant. So I don't think you can really do that. Um Isaka, that's a one heck of a baptism of fire a fire throwing a you know a young 17-year-old lad into start at Lennon Road for his first ever league, um, league start. I don't think that's Maybe Chewy will, will, will surprise us and think, you know what, I think Freddie's ready for that. But I think, you know, with, with the duty of care to him and to not, you know, throw him into to sink, I don't think that will, will happen. Um, so then you're running out of options. So I think the, the only option is just to put Wayne in again and just hope that even if, you know, hopefully, hopefully A, he's going to sit down with the coach on Monday morning and go through the stuff I've spoke about and, and get involved in the game more. And even if that doesn't happen... Hopefully he can just get in the right position to get on the end of something and tap something in because you know we know he can play that game to an extent, but but nothing fell his way. So look, I really really want him to do well, and I do agree with Joe that some of the comments were a little bit distasteful. I think he's a really likable young lad. I think he's very earnest. He's always plays the game with a smile on his face. He's always always you know it really seems to appreciate and and love playing for Argyle. He he really tried hard to make a move to Argyle happen from Wellington. So. I, I, I don't want to be here criticizing him, but I, ju I just don't think he's ready. And I don't think that was a, I think it was an out of his depth performance. It, it, it's how I'd phrase it. I don't think he was, I don't think he was anywhere near the standards required. And I really, really, really hope he, he gets a goal or two at, at Ellen Road and shuts me up. And, 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 and like I said, I would start him because he has shown some good attributes in other games. But yeah, it was a, a very poor performance in, in truth. That's my view on it. Yeah, Graham, I've got a question here from Lewin Reed, who asks basically what Joe and Sam have already answered. So I, I, won't, I won't bore you with it again, which is obviously just is the Wayne slander from a large proportion of people warranted, in his opinion, he needs to give him time and a solid run of games to write him off. I assume you agree with that. Yeah, I think so. I mean, if you look at his stats, he's actually scored five goals from six starts, which if it was any other striker, you would be saying that's not a bad return. And the other, I think he's something like 16 sub-appearances. Most of those have been in the last 10 minutes or so. So game time, he hasn't had a lot. Um, the rather odd thing I thought yesterday is we played wide so much. We play down the wings and then we ping it across to the other wing. We literally didn't play any balls through the middle. And he was available quite often, but the choice was made to knock it long, or if you look at what Azaz did, feed it through the gap for Mumba to run on twice. Um, so it was, it was a bit of an odd performance. I mean, the whole crowd was willing in well. And I think the one thing that summed it up a bit was second half when the ball was played down the line 
in the Lindhurst, and he was sort of level with, um, I think it was McNair, the number 17, and he was ahead of him, and McNair edged him off the ball, and it just looked as though he didn't have the, the physical strength or the technical ability to get in front of the ball, make it his, and take it from there. So that sort of summed up his game. I think he had nine touches in all, but not one ball, I would say, was played to him with the possibility, apart from that one I just mentioned, of him running onto or linking up play with. It was, you know, we 11 players in the team and, and one of them hardly touched the ball. It's a rather odd. And yet it was such an exhilarating team performance. It's, I think the coaches would be scratching their heads a bit uh, as to why he wasn't as involved as much as he should have been or could have been. While we're on the changes then, obviously Wayne replaced Hardy whilst Houghton came in for Randall. Um, go on, Joe, I'll give you this one. On Adam himself, how much of a miss is he when he's not on the pitch? And I feel like Houghton and Randall now are just so concrete that it has to be our go-to for every game between now and January, no matter the formation. But then, of that midfield three yesterday, who would you have left out for Randall? Because I thought all three of them were outstanding. Under. I, th- I thought Kunda was one of the best players on the pitch, personally. Um, I, 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 no, I, just, I, I, just la- I just felt we lacked bite in that midfield. Like, there was just no control. I, I thought we stepped up a bit when Randall came on the pitch. Um, I thought, as a team, we, we, we raised our game when we made that double change. Whether or not I'd have brought Mumba off at that time, I'm not so sure. Because I just wonder, with the way the game ended, whether or not his energy would have been quite useful. Um I accept that he's a bit hot and cold at the moment and people are still trying to suss out how they feel about him in the championship, which again, I think is a little bit ludicrous. But um, it's tricky because, as I say, I thought the three in midfield yesterday were outstanding. Um, And I do think Kundal was the best player on the pitch, um, or one of the best players on the pitch, should I say. Um, You know, every time we were trying to build an attack, he was just popping up everywhere. Right flank, left flank, through the middle. Um, if we were getting forward, he was one of the first ones going forward with a runner. Um, he brings so much energy to the side. It's it's a headache for Shuey. The obvious way to solve it is to play Morgan through the middle and move his as forward a little bit, and then you can play Randall, Cundall, and Houghton. Um, but then obviously you're going into the territory of essentially playing a false number nine. And although Man City did it quite successfully for four years, we're not Man City. So it, it's a tricky one. I like Randall. I'd like somebody, and this is a bit of homework for somebody, maybe this is one for Ben, because I know he's he's big on his stats, to work out the with Randall, without Randall in the side, because that would be quite an interesting little bit of data. I've not seen anything about it over the course of last season and this season because it would be interesting to see how we perform with or without him in the side. Because visually, I would suggest without him that we're not as strong in midfield, um, just because he, he's a little bit of a terrier type, isn't he? He's, he's one of those dogs that keeps nipping away at your ankles all the time when you're, when you're around your uncle's house. So I do think he will go on to captain the club one day. I don't think it's particularly soon that that happens, but... That's definitely a question you'd like pose to Schumacher and just let him let him talk for three or four minutes to the press just at how he sees his midfield battle. Because if there's one place we're not short at the moment, it's probably that that area of the pitch, I would say. 
while we're on that area of the pitch, obviously, does anybody know where Warrington is? Graham, do you think that we that that's him done at Argonne now? Surely we just returned him in January or Everton recall him. Well, well, I think Warrington was signed to be the replacement pivot for Houghton, I think. Uh, although Adam Randall played that against Ipswich, didn't he? So to great effect, actually. I thought he played better in that pivot role than he does in the Luke Condor role. It doesn't look it doesn't look good. There's no reserve games, there's no games where he can get game time. He, um, would you put him on in the last ten minutes for any of the midfielders? Probably not. So at the it was signed at the right time. He was a capable player, but he just hadn't had a chance. And is he gonna get a chance? Unless we have an injury, of course, and then that might be different. But just on the Cundall and Randall thing, I I I prefer Luke Cundall starting at home because he gives us pace and energy. And for Randall starting away because he's a bit more robust and steady and and competent, and bring Candle on in the last 20, 25 minutes for that energy push to get us over the line. So that's how I see it. I mean, Azaz is irreplaceable. I think Houghton is this season, absolutely. But although against Ipswich, Randall did replace him quite effectively. Um, good choice to have, and as has been said. Midfield isn't our issue as a, as a team. I'll just quickly say that what is interesting is that, yes, as much as it's good to have Tundall and the Zavs both in the same team because they're two very exciting attacking players. And, and as much as I agree, yes, they did both play well yesterday. Since we've moved for more of a double pivot with Houghton and Randall, and look, I know it's a bit more flexible than that because Randall played a bit further forward, but when we were out of possession, it did very much descend to being a double pivot, I would, I would say. Well, since we've kind of moved away from the double pivot of Houghton and Randall to the single pivot of Houghton or Randall, we've conceded six goals in two games. So whilst it is nice to have Azaz and Cundall as that attacking duo, I wonder if, and obviously there's the argument, should we persist with this formation at all? As you know, I've been vocal in saying I prefer 3-4-3, but if we are going to stick with this formation, I think probably we we kind of, for most games, certainly for, for Leeds, have to go Houghton and Randall rather than Houghton or Randall. Um, and, and because ultimately, I think six goals conceded in two games. Yes, okay, we also scored five in those games, but I think six goals conceded in two games is is, is a bit of a concern. So having the two of them in there gives us that bit more defensive solidity. I think. Yeah, I think that also just proves that maybe like I'm such an Adam Randall little fanboy that I just I just put him in there over anyone. I just think he's Clark. He must be close to 100 games now. I'm, I'm sure I say that. Um, most pods, so he must be. He can't be far off it. I think he's only a yeah, only a, a handful off it. I think. I think he's, he's in the nineties for sure. Yeah, nice legend already. Love him. I love him. What a lovely boy. Middlesbrough obviously went ahead through Josh Coburn's tidy finish, which um, may or may not have come off um, Gibson. Actually, let's just couple both of Coburn's goals to make it easier. Just how much of a menace was he, Sam? How much do you wish we had a player like that to mix up our front line? Yeah, enormously uh, real proper proper centre forward he is um, again I, I, without wanting to, to to moan at Wayne too much he kind of backed up my earlier point that how good he was at making openings for himself in that he he would always make the right run into the channels he would always time his run perfectly he would win the physical battles and Dan Starr and Lewis Gibson are not easy people to win physical battles against by, by any stretch of the imagination and and he did it um, the, the only really bad moment he had all game was was the penalty but he he thankfully took advantage of it well thankfully for him obviously not thankfully for us thankfully for him he took advantage of his his own you know slice of um 
luck in the way it fell to him nicely and, and tapped it away. So, yeah, I think he had a very good game, um, real proper centre-forward. And I think if we had him as an option all season, OK, look, earlier in the season, would he have started ahead of Hardy with the form? He was on absolutely not. But as a rotation option and someone who we could have brought off the bench to defend games when we were winning... I think if we'd have had him all season, I think we could have a, a few more points on board th than what we do. Um, really, really good striker. Um, and I think Middlesbrough will be probably quietly quite thankful that they didn't get their player in to loan Coburn out because obviously, look, he's one of their own and he's doing brilliantly for them. Um, so yeah, good for them. But it's a, it's a shame we don't have him. Yeah, I, I, the Borough Breakdown pod that I was on to preview the game, they seem to think that they're going to um, aim to get one or two more strikers in anyway, and, and Coburn will still be sent out on loan. But I think after after Saturday, um, I think he's uh, Josh Coburn's going to have something to say about that. Uh, but yeah, you're right, Joe. I'd, I'd be straight on the blower if that was an option. Um, yeah, he just looked like the the way I thought it was just he looked like um, Cosgrove, but on steroids. He just looked like an absolute machine. Obviously, I was going to ask you, Sam, about the uh, the Cooper should be doing better with a pen, but you've covered that, so that's good. We've ticked that one off. Obviously, Mumba equalised after a lovely team goal, knocking it around a few of them and squaring it, basically for him to have an easy finish, let's be honest. You'd back him to score that most of the nine times out of ten, although he should have really scored the one earlier in the game, but we, 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 won't, we won't dwell on that too much. Um, Joe, obviously, we know, that he's, we know that he's been good this season, you know, but like... This was Mumba back to his like his eye test best, wasn't he? We probably wouldn't have said that after he did all the hard work. No. Silkley getting past a few players and then decided to put it straight out of play past the away dugout on the grandstand side um, mm. when he had a simple ball <laughs> to Kesler Hayden. Yeah, I thought Barley Mumba was brilliant. As I said in my little piece earlier, I probably wouldn't have brought him off the advantage of hindsight just because that bit of energy, that burst of energy he's got, could have been quite handy in those last. 15 minutes if he was able to to go the distance. I just wonder with the whole Bali Mumba thing, people questioning his performance levels, are we just not a little bit ahead of ourselves with where Mumba is in his development as a footballer? Um, he had a very good season with us in League One last year. Nobody can deny that. We went out, we paid the million pounds. The problem is when you pay a million pounds for a footballer, at a club who's never paid a million pounds for a footballer before, you just assume that the million pound player is going to be a machine, deliver game after game after game, deliver everything you need him to have for game. And he's not a machine, he's a human. He himself has very, very, very limited game time at the championship in his career. So he himself is adapting to the level. Like the rest of us, we're all getting used to it. And I just wonder whether it's only now he's finding his feet in the championship. You know, obviously he had a bit of a point to prove after scoring the own goal last week at Portman Road. Um, but a couple of his performances of late haven't actually been as as in now as they were at the start of the season. I actually think since the international break and since Shuey's reset, he's probably been one of the more consistent players for a level of performance across the game. Azaz mentioned it in his post-match interview in the press conference post-game, that it's only now he feels like he's up to speed because obviously he had that delayed pre-season and things. It's taken him so long. I just wonder whether only now is Mumba getting to grips with life in the championship because you'll always have the debate, are we getting the best out of him in the position he's playing in? It's irrelevant whether we think we are 
the people who Simon Hallett pays to make these decisions believe that's his best position. And let's be fair, he's getting himself into some unbelievable positions in an attacking sense and should have had two on Saturday. So had he got two on Saturday, we'd probably be having a totally different conversation now. So I think he's getting there. And I think the further the season goes, providing there's no silly antics that, that go on because we know he's a bit hot-headed with, didn't he get sent off in pre-season last year? somewhere so when when he reacted badly to a tackle so we don't want any of that nonsense creeping back in but yeah look he's he's an exciting player and um as the season goes on let's hope he continues to perform at a level he was yesterday and has been for the last couple of games yeah i'm racking my brains for that red card now i want to say yeovil wasn't it it was yeah it was yeovil pre-season wasn't happy with a challenge made on him and decided to voice his opinions and it didn't go down very well well, I think I think he voiced his opinions with his fist rather than his mouth. That's what would have sent off. But yeah, that, that's what happened. Yeah. Let's let's not get bogged down with that, Sam. Come on. Much like this podcast where we voice our opinions and it doesn't go down too well. Obviously linked up well with Mikel Miller, especially early on. They look they've looked brilliant down that uh, left hand left hand side. Yeah, left hand side. Um get my lefts and my rights mixed up. Another one who's who seems to have found his feet now in this side, starting two games in a row. Uh Graham, do you feel like he's he's like starting to nail that place? Yeah, I do. I think the partnership between the two of them is very effective. Um, and Miller's adopted a bit like KKH does, does the inverted role to let Barley come back, and that's part of the pattern of play. The only thing I'd say about Mikkel, for all his pace, he does sometimes get beaten on the outside, which, although, to be fair, Jones, I thought, was quite a handful on their, their, on their right side. And... and um, he had pace to burn, and I think Miller's probably our fastest player in truth, certainly over the first five, ten yards. Defensively, he struggled, but I think he's been our most improved player this season, to be fair. He's getting a run of games. Whether he can do three in a week, I, I doubt, but they've managed his um, hamstrings really well, by the sound of it. And um, he's performing. And crossing ability, when he gets down the line, is, is probably one of the best in, in the squad. So just hasn't led to anything in terms of a goal. But I, I think he's coming on strong, getting adjusted to the championship as all the players are. And I mean, when you look at the Middlesbrough side, I was just looking at Housen. I thought, crikey, I wonder how many games he's played. And I did look it up. He's played 300 championship games and 170 premiership games. So when you're up against that sort of calibre experience of player, that just shows you what we're up against. And Middlesbrough had that championship experience laced right through the squad. Um, and that's what we're going to be facing game after game. So we're, I think Miller has been one of the better players this season. We're running out of superlatives for Finn Isaac Azaz, as Joe referred to him in the intro. The goal of the season competition is hotting up with another shift of the ball and a drop of the shoulder and firing one home from outside the box. Sam, how much money do we need to throw at Villa in January to, to secure him on a permanent? It's got to be done. Um, as much as the club can sustainably afford under the five-year plan. It's, Put it's the like, club uh... into financial peril to get Finn. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that. that is not my recommendation. Look, here is Lamsom. As, as Ben said last week, football isn't a, 
entirely a balance sheet of of, of red uh, of you know in the red against in the black. Sometimes when when you have investors who can cover short term losses for for long term gain, sometimes a, a reasonable investment is, is the right thing to do. That being said, you know you don't want it, you don't want to make such an incredibly high investment that you're that you're banking on it coming in or or, or you know you're in big trouble. That's what we did back in the. Um, Obviously, late noughties, early tens, and look how terribly that went. So, look, I I don't know enough about the club's finances to give a serious answer. If there is any way we could do that, um, and, and, you know, perhaps obviously in the five-year plan, which we will talk about in a minute, um, one of the things Hannah did mention was looking at the possibility of getting external investors in. Look, if we can get them in in time for January, um, and, and if we can do it in a way that, you know, it's it, the repayment of it is, is spread over enough time or that it's converted into shares, um, basically, as long as we're not going to put ourselves, what we don't want to do is put ourselves into a situation where we have to stay up or risk financial peril. I don't think for a minute someone had it would do that, to be absolutely clear. I think he's a far better and more responsible owner than to do that. But look, if we can get in a situation whereby we have the money to spend without putting ourselves in in, in peril, I think we could. I would think we could easily justify doubling what we spent on Mumba and Whitaker for Atlanta. I really do, um, and that's not to say that he's doubly as good as Mumba and Whitaker. I, I, I think those two were both absolute bargains. As I said, but certainly Whitaker in particular, but but Mumba as well with, with how he's improving. Both absolute bargains. Um, will Villa be so generous to us as Swansea and Norwich were? Probably not, because I think they'll probably know that if they hold out until the summer, there could be a bit of a bidding war amongst Championship clubs for Atlanta. So I think they will be wanting at least double what we paid on Mumba and Whitaker. I think you're looking at the two million mark as the as the minimum they'd accept. They might even they might even push for more than that. So is it going to be easy for us to spend that money with the budget we have? No. If there is any way we can do it without gambling our future on it, I'd love to see us do it because he is a player who is improving um, game after game after game. He's a high-stakes player. He's a high-risk, high-reward player. He will try the spectacular very often. Sometimes it won't pay off. And when it does, he can just win us games and, and, and get us goals out of absolutely nowhere. Um, yeah, just, just yeah, like he's running out of words to describe how good he is. He had that little spell after his injury where he looked a bit off it for a few weeks, but he came back brilliantly towards the tail end of the season and sort helped see us over the line to the title. And yeah, he started this season as he's meant to go on playing fantastically. Um, lots of high-value chances created. Not all of them led to goals just because there were some bad finishes at our end from other players, but he's doing his bit in creating consistently high-value chances and he's just a pleasure to watch. So, yeah, I'd, I'd love to see us sign him in January and I think if we could, then, then that would be an incredible investment in our future. Graham, I'll ask you this one because um, respectfully, you have the, let's say, the most experience of going to Home Park out of all of us. Thank you. Uh, Rhubarb has asked, is Azaz the most technically gifted player to ever play for the Greens? That's summer claim. It is. I think Graham Carey would have a, a, a shout in that argument, to be fair. He's technically gifted. I mean, just take us back to the pre-season. There were long rumours about him being signed, and then there were many rumours about him failing a medical. And if you recall... The only reason we were able to sign him is if Villa gave him an extra year on his contract. I, I sense, I may be wrong, but I think there's a deal to be done or has been done where we either get him in January or the end of the season. The way we do our business is we offer a massive 
add-on for a reduced price. And that may be the way that we can attain him. That'd be brilliant if we, if we could. He would be our number one player to acquire without any question. I think the club's accounts come out next week or the week after. We've got a very healthy balance sheet and some reserves. And part of the club's desire is to acquire players to improve them and then sell them on at significant enhanced value. And he absolutely falls into that category. So if you're looking at investment, reverted commas, in player for the future under a longer-term contract, he would be number one acquisition at the moment. Joe, you alluded to it in your intro. Obviously, the start of the second half, I felt like we needed to maybe mix things up a little quicker. Do we need to question how we allowed Middlesbrough back into the game so easily? I noted within five minutes we were playing a lot narrower at the start of the second half. We were very compact. If you break the pitch down into thirds, we were, we were essentially compact in the middle third. Um, and it looked like we were quite happy for Middlesbrough to have it out wide, but we just weren't going to allow them to play through us. And to a point, it was working um, because they weren't overly testing Michael Cooper up until the point that we gave away the penalty. So, but it, it does go back to the point I made that I just, there's something in the back of my mind that we aren't starting halves very well this season. Again, I think, wasn't there a, a, a graphic that came out? Somebody did it where they broke it up into 15 minute segments and you're for and against goals scored. I think our two of our worst periods were 0 to 15 and 45 to 60. It's something that we do have to really work on. And it was it was also a problem at the early part of last season as well, that we weren't start, particularly the second half, we weren't starting the second half very well. And the, the obvious game for that was Bristol Rovers. We'd gone in 2-0 up and in the blink of an eye, the game had turned and we were hanging on come the end of it. And I think from that game onwards for the rest of the season, it was only a minor thing, but I noticed we were always the last team out of the tunnel at the start of the second half. Um, and I noticed on Saturday, it looks like we've switched to trying to be the last team out of the tunnel. Now, it's only a psychological thing and it probably means nothing. That is an area that I'm sure the coaching staff want to improve on. How you improve on it, I don't know. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't even begin to speculate on how we become better at starting halves of football. But um, because ultimately you don't want to play all your cards in the first 15 minutes of the second half and leave yourself spent with with 10 minutes to go because you may have got away with it at lower levels but you're almost definitely not going to get away with it at this level so it's it's just a little cause for concern for me whether or not the management are worried about it I don't know but just nagging it's nagging away at the back of my mind yeah I think what happened second half is Middlesbrough pinned two players out very wide Jones went on one touchline I think it was Greenwood went on the on the other touchline, which absolutely, you know, with our back four, it spread them apart. The, the full backs were unsure to go out to them or what. And if they did go out to them, then Gibson and uh, Dan Scar stretched in the middle. And a few times at the beginning of the half, they did play through the middle where we struggled a bit and they did get some balls in what out from out wide. And I think that was the tactical change. And I think Shuey was trying to adjust to it when they scored the third goal because he was going to go to the back three, playing the wing backs to stop that particular 
tactic that unfortunately the, the way the play won, he get, went, he couldn't get the, the players on. And when we went to that, we re-established a bit of control in the game. So I, I think it was Michael Carrick playing those people wide and playing the balls wide. And and, and as um, Joe said, we were more compact in the middle. So we actually enabled the Middlesbrough tactic to work more effectively until we uh, sure addressed it as soon as he could. I've coupled two Twitter questions that are basically about solidifying that back line, obviously. Uh, Gavin Jones, friend of uh, Joe Bell, has said um, his only question, although he submitted three, he says his only question is, is it time for Plaggy to sit at the back four alongside Gibson? As much as it pains me, is Scar's thinking and physical speed off of what's required in the championship? Um, and Jack Leslie, another friend of the pod, three goals scored in five of the seven home games this season, 26 in total, which is the third highest in the division. However, we seem to ship goals at the same rate, which is a worry. What needs to change for you? Do we need to be more conservative, go to the back three, get championship experience defenders in in January? Um, Sam, do you want that one? Look, obviously, we'd love to bring better defenders in. Um, of course, we'd, we'd love to have an um, unlimited budget, but we do have the second lowest budget or lowest budget in the league, so that may not be possible. Um, as you know, I would like to go back to three at the back because not only do I think that helps us cut teams over a bit going forward, I think generally a good strategy when you're weak in an area, it's to cover that area a bit more. Like when England were leaking goals, um, it, it, uh, Gareth Southgate moved to a three at the back and it was, um, it, it was it's it's a theory called the, the short blanket theory, which is whereby you, if you've not got enough room, you know, in the blanket, you use it to cover the areas most vulnerable to the cold. Um, whereas in football terms, that actually means if there's an area where you're weaker in terms of personnel, you put more of them there because they, they cover each other a bit more. Whereas if you have slightly fewer in the attacking areas, then then naturally you, you trust them to be good enough to take care of themselves. Um, I, I, I For that reason, I would opt for three in the back and I would also opt for... Bally Mumba at left wing back, um, where, where I personally think is his best position. Um, I think if we are going to stay at four at the back, which I, I think we probably are, Schumacher seems to be fairly insistent that that's what he wants to go with going forward. So, you know, he's a, obviously he's more than earned the right to, to go with that. Um, then it's a tough one. I think Pegafolo and Scar is not as clear cut as some may think. I've seen a lot of comments on Twitter about. This is just, you know, sentiment over um, rationality. And I think that's a bit harsh on Scar because I think Scar, up to his two big mistakes, one at Ipswich and obviously that awful little passage of play yesterday, up to that, he had been having a very good run of form. He was brilliant at West Brom. He was good at home to Wednesday. He was um, certainly by no means one of the worst defenders in, in, that, in the home defeats. Um, so it, it, it's, it, it is difficult. But I think Pegafuelo, yes, he may not make as many you know, big errors. I think there are little bits of Flegafuelo that I'm not as wowed on as some. I think there are some moments where he's a little bit languid, he's a little bit off the pace. Um, I think he, he he hasn't quite got up to the speed of the championships. Whilst I think Scar makes bigger errors, I think Flegafuelo makes makes more smaller lapses. So do you go with somebody who, who makes fewer but bigger errors or do you go with someone who makes more but less severe errors? I think Lewis Gibson is absolutely our best centre-back and, and he's obviously the left-sider so it's just a question of which of the two right-footers do you want to start alongside him and I think maybe it is horses to courses to an extent 
I think Leeds, I would probably, if we are going to go four at the back, which let's be honest, we probably are, I think I probably would go Plegafuelo for the Leeds game just because um, they're a very technical side um, and that they're going to play it along the ground a bit more. They're not, they're not, you know, such a, a brute physical force. They've got fantastic skilled players like Ruter, Somerville, James, uh, Pirro, all, all, all the fantastic players for this level. And I think maybe somebody a bit more techie is what's needed for the Leeds game. Um but no, I absolutely don't think that, that Scar should be phased out of consideration altogether or that it's just sentiment because I think ultimately he's, he, he's had some very good games this season. If you're listening to this on a Monday, there'll be a Leeds preview on the Thursday in which Sam will be asked that exact same question and will answer exactly the same. So whatever he just said there, make sure he says exactly <laughs> the same on Thursday. Yes, yeah, um, I'll make sure I do, yeah. Just quickly, in terms of um, going back and clipping stuff around, we never officially had a break, did we, either? So you might say we're having a break and now we're back from our break. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Man of the match and October's player of the month, Morgan Whitaker's excellent finish means we bagged back-to-back free kick goals at home park after Mustafa Bundu's strike against Sheffield Wednesday. Joe, have we, have we employed a set-piece coach? What's going on? I don't know, because we still don't seem overly competitive at corners, do we? Bar the header from Scar at Portman Road last week. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, Bundu's taken the leather off the ball against Sheffield Wednesday and almost took the crossbar with it. And Whitaker, as, as Graham touched on earlier, put a delightful ball into the middle that anyone in their right mind would want to get on the end of. And nobody did, but fortunately it still paid off. So take the rub, rub of the green with it. Two really good free kicks, two really good efforts and take them and move on. If we're going to continue on a run of form of scoring free kicks, then it's a different way of scoring and you don't have to worry about a striker that way, do you? So. Mm. Really helps, Aaron. Graham, I feel like every time I edit these pods, I feel like we haven't praised Whitaker enough. I mean, it, talking of Moneyball, he's he's he selling him alone is going to take us to the Prem, isn't it? What a player! Yeah, I mean, he won't be every Premiership team's cup of tea because of the way he plays, but uh, I mean, he's a delightful watch. His delicacy of touch, um, he's got a slightly languid style, which people associate with sort of laziness, but I don't know. I think recent games he's been putting the effort in, coming back, tackling. No, he's a wonderful player. He's he's got premiership capability without question. And I think he will rival Coops to be our biggest sale if it ever comes to that. Um and certainly I think he needs another he needs a full season in the championship and perhaps a, another one next next year if we're reasonably confident we will be next year and then I think after two seasons in the championship and scoring at the rate he's scoring 
I think he's got the most shots on target than anybody, I think, in the championship, certainly. I think premiership as well. Why wouldn't anybody want him? And certainly, you know, the sort of mid-table, lower half of the premiership, he could do a really good job for. He's not, I'm not sure he's above that level yet, but he's certainly our best outfield uh, prospect for getting the sort of player trading income that that we're going to need to move on to a sustainable position. Whilst whilst we're talking about Moneyball, obviously 17 years, three months and seven days old is all it took for Freddie Osaka to make his to get first championship minutes, Sam. Let, let's just couple him and Callum Wright. Let's make it quicker. Um, obviously, both both on the bench, both coming on. Um, how good is it to have both of those in and around the squad? Obviously, one one is a lot younger and one's um, a lot less experienced. But just having Callum Wright back as well opens up a whole nother... Uh, I don't even know what the phrase is. Something to our armoury? Gun? Cannon? Yeah, I, I know the I know, I know the gist of what you're going for. Certainly, um, yeah. yes, um, Callum Wright was 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 um decent off the bench. I think he was a couple of um moments. He was a bit off the pace, but that's to be expected coming back from a bad injury. Um, obviously we changed to the three four. I, I promise not to keep making every question about the formation, but I know we changed to the three three four three formation in the game yesterday. And look, whatever my views on the rights and wrongs, but I think that formation definitely suits Callum Wright the best. Um, because I think in the four three three he not really a sort of a, a wide enough player to be the winger, but he's not really a defensive enough player to, to play in the centre midfield, really, um, I, and, and not quite good enough from deep areas. I think that inside forward role in the 3-4-3... Three, three, oh, false nine up at Leeds, I heard. Well, that would be interesting, yeah. I think the 3-4-3 the, the, the three, three inside forward role certainly fits him like a glove, because he can just tuck into those pockets, you know, give some defenders some twisted blood and and really create opportunities for us. So I think um, one of the one of the many reasons I would like to go to 3 4 is because it would benefit Callum Wright more in the 4 3 3. He doesn't have such an actual position. He would probably have to make do with a spot on the bench a lot more, but you never know, he may well adapt to it. Um but yeah, and I, I, another good player to have because there were some games certainly a few weeks ago where we just didn't didn't look like we had many good options to bring off the bench. Whereas yesterday we, we looked a lot a lot better in that regard, apart from obviously the striker area that we've already spoken about. Um, Isaka, yeah, absolutely, is, is is a great one for the future. Um, I think even even you know his, his agent or his family or whatever would probably say that he's been been sort of put into it into the squad now due to circumstances more so than anything. Um, just because obviously our, our two main strikers are injured, but yeah, he he looked bright, he looked lively off the bench yesterday. He was only on for a handful of minutes, but he he looked very involved, um, chasing down the defenders. Um, didn't really get enough time on the ball to see how he how he fared with the actual technical aspect of the game against championship defences. But yeah, he um, he looked very very energetic to say the least. I've not do I do, uh, do I think he's ready to, to to start or to play substantial um, minutes in in games? I really don't know, and that's not me just saying I don't know as a as a diplomatic way of saying no, he's not. Sounds that's like me you saying. Are. Sounds no, like no, no! Can... It's me. No, it, it's me saying I genuinely don't know. It's it, because I've just not seen enough of him. Yeah. Um, he's clearly been absolutely on fire in the um, youth team, incredibly highly rated by the club. But I, I'm conscious of the fact he is he is only 17. Now, to put this into context, Adam Randall, who who we think of as a you know a really great you know young player of ours, is, is 23. 
Um, so, you know, he, there, there's six years between Randall and Osaka. So he's got a long, long time yet before he, you know, before he starts feeling the pressure of, you know, I need to break into the team. And he's got all the time in the world. He's, he, and he's only just 17 as well, right? He's not 18 until next summer. So he's got all the time in the world. We don't need to rush his development. Um, what was I going to say? Um, yeah, going back to Randall, it was the tw- it, obviously he had odd appearances off the bench in the promotion season out of League Two under Ryan Lowe, but his. His first start for us in the league came in 2021 when he himself was aged 21. And he and he didn't, obviously he had a little bit of a run of games later that season, but he didn't actually become a regular part of our, our first choice team, I would say, until last season, the promotion season. And that was the year where he was 22 for most of the season. So yeah, long, long way to go before we're in a position with a tackle where like he needs to be thinking, I really need to break into the team soon. Got Got all the time in the world for... Again, I would probably absolutely continue to play him off the bench when Hardy and Bundu aren't in the team because we just don't have anyone else who can really play up front unless you're going to move Whitaker out of position. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think let's not run before we can walk with him. Perhaps that's what I'm trying to say. He's 21 until he's 22. That's how it works. Is that what you're saying, Sam? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. You got it. All right, can I just say on, on Freddie, I think I would have brought him on earlier. Because I have watched him through coming through the ranks. He has explosive pace, probably more explosive than any of the other players. Ryan Hardy's got pace, but that's like a sort of giant stride over 10, 15 yards. Freddie Ogre, two, three, four yards, probably nobody quicker. And I think in tiring legs, playing him on the left, cutting in, I think he scored. Might have been in one of the preseason games in Spain where he cut in, cut in and powered it in. Yeah, it was against Hearts, he scored. Yeah, I think it was Hearts, yeah. He's well capable of that. And I'd certainly take him to Leeds. I'd be bringing him on with 10, 10 minutes or maybe more to go if we're in a position to try and uh, get a result. I, I, he has the ability, unquestionably, has the ability to beat players and that infusion of pace late in the game could could help us turn again. Yeah, there's only one real talking point left, Joe. You know what's coming. Um, Michael Carrick said so he seemed baffled by the decision not to send off Mikel Miller by saying, I don't really know what else you have to do to get a red card. Time for ref watch. Obviously, Darren England, famously of the, the VAR controversy between Spurs and Liverpool, is in charge of this one. Yeah, good process, lads. Um, right, Darren England. You sort of knew what you were going to get when he came out before the game and he was wearing a tracksuit along with the two teams. Um, you don't often see that at football league level, do you? The, there are two two main talking points. Number one's the penalty. There's there's just no there's no discussion to be had. Um, it's a stonewall penalty. I'm a little bit surprised Dan Scard didn't pick up a yellow card as well, to be honest, because it was just a cynical dragging down of the man and then there's the red card incident and Michael Carrick says I don't know what more you have to do to be sent off well he must have been reading Shuey's notes from the last two games because identical incidents have happened in the last two games against Sheffield Wednesday and Ipswich where one of our players has been through and has been brought down in and around the edge of the penalty area when they're about to get a shot away. It it cleared denial of a goal scoring opportunity. And I do, having seen it live, Darren England seemed to hesitate on giving the decision whether or not he was just talking to his linesman, whether or not it was in or out of the area, I don't know. Having watched it back, I think he gets it wrong on two counts. 
the referee. I think he gets it wrong on where he spots the foul because I do think the foul occurs inside the penalty area marginally. And I also think he gets the colour of the card wrong. I do have sympathy with with Michael Carrick. I think Miller, if we're going to be consistent and call for Dominic Iorfa and George Edmondson to be sent off, then unfortunately Mikhail Miller should also, there should also be calls for him to be sent off because it's identical to what had happened in the previous two games. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a there was a funny incident. Jordan Houghton went down in the centre circle under a challenge from Matt Crooks and Houghton was clearly hurt by the tackle and the referee playing an advantage. The advantage disappeared and then the referee called the game back to book Matt Crooks and then to give Argyle the drop ball. I don't know where on earth he got that from. And I think the two managers both sort of looked at each other and looked at the fourth official perplexed as to what had happened. If you need to book Matt Crooks and you're giving Argo the possession, then just, just give the free kick. Sod the advantage. No, All right, we might have moaned if we were four on three or something, but we weren't at the time. Pull it back, book the player, give the free kick. On top of all that, I'm going to sound a little bit contradictory now that I've said that he should have sent Miller off and it was probably a penalty for Middlesbrough. I actually thought he was the best referee we've had all season. I thought there was <laughs> there was a real... You could tell that he had been refereeing at a higher level. Um, you could tell that he was different to the other referees we've had, even if I do now sound like a pillock because I said he got a decision wrong and should have reduced us to 10 men. If we're going to be sent Premier League referees for the rest of the season because we're moaning every week, then on that level of performance, I probably wouldn't complain too much. Not a very high bar, though, is it, to be the best referee we've had this season? It's not. And this is probably a wider point. And there's a couple of incidents that have happened in recent weeks in the Football League. There was a notable one in the Exeter-Lincoln game um, the other day when somebody was clotheslined, dragged down Never. by their shirt collar. Never a thing. Broader point that perhaps we can say for an international break, Aaron, where I just have a complete referee rant pod. We'd be here forever, but all in all, solid seven, seven and a half out of ten. You could argue if he had, if he had sent Miller off and given a penalty, I don't think we could have complained. It's quite boring for me that. Yeah, fair enough. Anybody with anything to add on Middlesbrough themselves before we get into the the, the juice? Yes, best atmosphere of the season by a mile. For whatever reason, I don't know what it was, but everyone had had their Weetabix on Saturday. Home Park was bouncing, bar probably a 10-minute period in the middle of the first half where there was a bit of a lull. Um, And that's credit to both sets of supporters. Middlesbrough came in numbers. They created great noise, plenty of banter between the two fans. It added to what was a brilliant afternoon, and it was so nice to sit towards the end there when Houghton had the effort and we had a couple of corners one after another. The whole place just didn't stop singing. Most of the ground was on its feet because it was, you know, it felt like it was building towards a crescendo. That was a proper atmosphere that supported a brilliant, brilliant game of football. So we were critical on here a couple of weeks ago, the atmosphere. We can't be after Saturday, that's for sure. Yeah, I I did say in a tweet that I felt very sorry for the people sat in the Mayflower Lower. Um, <laughs> absolutely drenched. Moving on, then, obviously, a quick congratulations to the under 16 academy side as they lifted the Heston International Cup. Won't lie, it's the first time I've heard of it, but apparently it's huge. We beat Aston Villa 3 1 in the final. Um, I think that's the Finnazaz derby. That means we, we win him as well. Um, other yeah. teams in the tournament included Fulham, West Ham, Queen's Park Rangers, uh, Crossfire from the US of A, Helsingor, I've already butchered that one from Denmark, and Lilstrom, 
I'm just going to guess that's an O from Norway. So um, any names to look out for there, Joe or Graham? Not that I know of at that level, but I mean, ah. it, it goes it goes to, doesn't it go to highlight what Uncle Simon and Neil Jewsnip's a big, big, big mentioner of, of this every time he's on a piece with the website about the academy. This is just another string to the bow, isn't it? If the under 18s have obviously had a successful couple of years, um, we've done we did well in the Milk Cup in the summer when the team went out there, and obviously now the under 16s are, are winning their tournament. So, without getting too far ahead of ourselves, I think it's safe to say the the next few years could be quite fun with with some of the talent that it appears is coming through our academy. And it's about time they came through our academy and not theirs up the road. So I think it's relevant to say that Neil Jewsnip said we are now beating Exeter at all levels or all age levels. So that's a measure of our improvement. And he has said as an aside, our under-16s is probably the best under-16s we've had. So we'll see. I don't I don't know of any names coming from I heard the keepers something special, but I can't recall his name. But I'm, I'm sorry. Shame, we've got one of those. He looked he looked a tall lad in the picture for a 16-year-old. It has to be Yeah, safe. he did. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and we've got Zach Baker as well, who's, who's another one. Yeah. Pretty good. So so we've got we've got you know the academy's starting to produce, it would seem. Yeah, obviously shout out to uh, Mia Endicott as well, um, who's been called up for England under 17, 18, yeah. 17. Uh, 17. Yeah, yeah. Um, she plays predominantly at left back for the women and she's gone there as a forward. So she's obviously very versatile. Um, it's brilliant to see as well. Other internationals include Brendan Galloway. I'm not sure we're going to waste too much time on this. Who's been called up for Zimbabwe, which is absolute madness. It might get some game time at least. Well, yeah. I mean, he might get back to fitness. No, sure he said he is. He's, he's ready. Um it wouldn't. I mean, the, the, we didn't mention it, but we've got two left-footed centre backs ready to step in sometime in the near future. Should Dan Scar play them all? Yeah, Galloway, it's, Gillespie, and and Plegozello up at bring, um, bring back the pizza trophy. We need extra games. You're all, joking, all joking aside, like if we had a reserve league or whatever, it would be now would be the time. We've not previously it had us. In which we need, we actually need them to get extra minutes. Um, let, let's obviously talk about the the good stuff then. Obviously, the, there's a new five year plan, and the headline states to be a sustainable top six championship club within five years with Premier League aspirations. Uh, Joe, you've publicly stated that you, that you that you'll be covering this one on our pod. So, um, what are the findings above and beyond the headline? Yeah, I think. I think everyone's got to be a little bit careful with the headline. It's very easy to get carried away when it the, the byline ends with Premier League aspirations. Um, I think we all just need to remember that it's an aspiration. In five years' time, in 2028, the target isn't the Premier League. It means it's happening. <laughs> it's a hope that we will be in a position to challenge... Um, but it is not a necessity. It's not a prerequisite. You know, it's not piling enormous pressure on Schumacher that you've got five years to get us to where Leicester, Ipswich, Leeds are right now. It came out of the blue. I'll be honest. I know that we've reached the end of the last cycle um, and there was always going to be another thing coming through. It, it sort of came out of the blue, the timing of it. I don't think anyone can disagree with the five pillars that they've they've come out with that are going to be the foundation of, of, of the vision. 
Um, because as, as Simon says, it's just an evolution of what has taken us to where we are now. Um, so it's fine tuning those details. But the one th thing that stood out to me, and I could be reading this completely the wrong way, and it would be interesting to see what Graham thinks about it as well. Simon mentioned that we have these ambitions. We want to be a top six championship club. We want to be sustainable, but we're going to need investment. And he has been keen to stress all along that he can get us to the championship, but it's whether or not he has the financial muscle to take us to that next level. And I wonder, with this announcement about a five-year plan and top six championship Premier League aspirations, I just wonder if there's something in the pipeline that's going to come out soon that perhaps there is a new... I know we had the buzz of Argyle Green 14 months ago that unfortunately, for whatever reason, with um, strategical differences didn't work out the way that everyone had sort of hoped and envisaged. I do just wonder whether somebody else has come along now and is willing to support Simon in the the future. I don't have any knowledge privy to that. Um, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't break any confidence if I did. Not whilst we're recording. Not whilst we're recording, no. But to, to come out with the statements that he did and to come out with the dreams and the vision and how we're going to do it, it's going to need significant investment, not just on the playing side of it, because we all know this isn't a top six in a championship playing squad. So over five years, there's going to have to be a serious evolution of the playing department. But the infrastructure still isn't there. Realistically, in this day and age, can you be a top six championship club with a stadium capacity of 16,800? You probably can't. You could can be smart with your business, but there's still more infrastructure projects that need to go on for us to reach that level. Mm. Yeah, I suppose you could argue you could argue a Bournemouth, right? Their their sort of their capacities in similar terms size, but they were moneyballed by. I was going to say, look at look at Bournemouth's financial background. You know that they got there. I'm not knocking the job that Eddie Howe and and the team did at Bournemouth to get them where they are, but they had a they had a significant leg up. Now we've had a leg up to get where we are, and we'll forever be indebted to Simon Halley. I mean, if it was down to me, he'd have a statue and a key to the city by now. And it's a travesty he's not turning on the Christmas lights this year. I think there will be a f an investment coming. I don't know when, and I just wonder the timing of this announcement, whether or not something is in the near future. Um, because obviously Simon was keen to stress that we, you know, we made a loss last year, which I don't think anyone really is surprised about. We spent money in January. Um, we obviously spent loads of money on infrastructure last year. So I think if we if we made a profit last year, we probably got the best business team in the West of western world but it'll be interesting to see and you can't help but be positive and excited about the future reading the plans listening to simon's interview and the thing that i really took from it is that he's enjoying it now more than he ever has that's got to be a huge boost to everyone because nobody can say his heart's not in the right place yeah i i think that the quote that you're alluding to i've just got it up it's, he said although we will seek to broaden and strengthen our shareholder base i will continue as major shareholder that's the key and as chairman i'm having too good a time to stop now and he talked about the need to get additional investment i i don't think that it's coincidence the five-year plan i think it was 2020 we we achieved championship level a year early it's time to review it i think there's every possibility we will get additional investment but I think what happened with the Americans pulling out and going to invest in uh, 
Tel uh, Maccabi Tel Aviv, which ironically in the current circumstances is may not be the best of investments. Um, I think that quite, I don't know if it hurt him, but it sort of made him a bit more careful. So if anybody is to come on board, I think they're going to be very, very, very carefully vetted and they're only going to come on a substantial mi minority shareholder. I think he, I think he owns 91% of the shares so yeah some after 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 the purchasing back of what argyle green had i think it's taken him to around 90 91 yeah so there is scope for additional shareholder investment definitely um you know by issuing more shares as has happened before that isn't going to be the quantum leap in terms of infrastructure um and i think one of the pillars we have fallen down on and i've alluded to it already is player trading many of the championship clubs above us their player trading i think swansea were 20 million plus and i remember one season few about three or four years ago bristol city did 52 million in one year it's a quantum leap and that's the sort of jump we've got to do to get up the the championship ladder and to be working towards our aspiration and so five years to achieve that i think is pragmatic sensible and more importantly achievable yeah i mean they gained a bit of a financial investment uh, after i signed up to argo tv to watch um his his speech on the on the plan um so that's another 5.99 they're getting a month or whatever it is sam i feel like sorry to prejudge you here but i feel like you're the most likely to be skeptical on this um Michael, I'm going to butcher his last name, so I'm just going to call him Michael. Was asked, "Have we released our our five our new five year plan a bit prematurely? Especially as I'm not sure we've achieved the last one." It further highlights the importance of staying up this season, and relegation is still possible. Oh, and I don't know about the most likely to be sceptical. I've um, I've been maybe a little sceptical of prioritisation of transfer window business. Look, I, I think we we kind of. But should not getting a, a proper striker in Bundu is more of a winger, really, um, can play very well out of position as a striker. But yeah, I think we, we maybe got some things wrong on player personnel this year. But look, I think that's a, a, a strategic error of one of one part of one transfer window. I certainly, in the broader direction, I think absolutely it's still fantastic. Simon Haller is a brilliant owner for Argyle. Andrew Parkinson is a brilliant CEO. Neil Dewsnip is a brilliant director of football. And Stephen Schumacher is a brilliant manager. I'm not sure. Oh, yeah, just, just to be clear, I didn't mean that you'd be sceptical about the regime. I mean about the, the timing of the plan and the... Um, um, okay, the sure, yeah, yeah. completed the last one. Well, I suppose he does raise a fair point, actually, on that, yeah. In the respect that if the five-year plan was to be in the championship by the end of it, I, I suppose if we, if we go up and, and go back down, then I suppose technically we've not quite hit it but uh, yeah I, I can see the point he's making but I, I think it shows that he that ha Simon Haller is, is very confident and I think it also shows which we kind of knew already when we threw two million at Whitaker and Mumba that this is very much not a case of the attitude that teams like Wickham went into their championship campaign with of you know we'll try to stay up but if we go down yeah, it's okay. We'll be in a position to go back up and re-strengthen. Like Rotherham clearly had that attitude many seasons they were in this league. It became very apparent with, with the level of money we were putting in and also all the more so now with this kind of statement that that's absolutely not the attitude we're taking. We're, we're in it. We're in it to make sure we stay up. And obviously, as I alluded to earlier in the pod, 
we don't want to go to the other extreme and gamble our financial future on the extent that we absolutely have to stay up to avoid financial jeopardy. But this is not, uh, you know, the, the, the attitude the club are taking is very much not a, you know, what will be will be. If we go down, we're in a good position. That's not what the club are doing. They are absolutely aiming to stay up. And with all the, the conversation about pushing towards the top six and, and being sustainable, then blindly real, realistically on, on, on that basis, you know, if we if, even if we go down to go down this season, even if we go straight back up the year after, that's only three years to establish yourself as a sustainable top six team. So, I think it absolutely shows that that Simon Hallett will, will do all all he can within reason to make sure we stay up. And if we are hovering over or under the right side of the line in January, I think we will see an, an increase of the budget. That's my inference really between the lines of what's been said and all the talk about external investors. I wonder if with the strategic difference, if they hadn't come to a head over the summer, if we might have had a bit more money to spend over the summer and, and maybe our budget would be a bit bigger. Again, that's also speculation. That's also inference, but it, it's the way I think it is. And I, I think what Joe said, that there wouldn't be such a hint to additional investors if there wasn't at least something in the pipeline, whether that means it's a virtually done deal or whether it's just the early stages or something in between, I don't know. But I think there is something in the pipeline for sure for him to be making that kind of comment. And I think it's something that hopefully could be in time for January. Go on, Graham. I, th I think two things to say. We've just increased the share issue to fund the £11 million academy or our part of the £20 million overall. So that's achievable within the five years. We've also got Harper's, which Simon confirmed is going to be the first team training base. So I think we've also acquired the Triangle land next to Harper's, not on the road, on the Outland Road side. So they are quietly going about putting the proper infrastructure in place. And I think part of the argument of why the, the other investors pulled out is that they would rather put their money in players in the in the rush for the getting up the championship and into the premiership rather than a long-term stable investment that Simon has always said is required. If we are going to get new shareholders, and I, I'm not so convinced, it's easy to speculate, it would have to be carefully thought. And, and Simon, you know, he, he definitely was affected by what happened and the next investors will be very, very carefully challenged to sign up to the long-term infrastructure changes at the club rather than chucking money in wages and trying to hit the um, ascent to the premiership that way. And, and I think Simon's absolutely right. Sam will remember 12 years ago, the chase for glory by paying more and more wages to the players nearly screwed the club completely. And we've got to learn from that lesson. Steady as she goes, bit by bit, and if it's the right investment for the right reasons, bring it on board. But if it's the right investment for the wrong reasons, I think it's a no thanks from me. I, I agree with that, Graham. And just to sort of maybe clarify my point slightly about maybe something in the offing end of January, I'm certainly not expecting, you know, to come in and, and throw millions at short-term spending. I think that's maybe, as Graham alluded to, what Argyle Green maybe more wanted to do and Simon Hallett didn't want to do. And I, I completely agree, agree with Graham that that's, you know, Simon will have had his fingers worked by that slightly and that's not the kind of um, investment he'll want to go into going forward. Couldn't agree more. 
that being said, as I kind of alluded to earlier, there, there is there is a middle ground, isn't there, between not speculating at all and you know p- p- putting the house on red effectively. Um, and, and I think whichever way we look at it, yes, you know, the long-term infrastructure will have a positive effect. But if we're looking at being top six in the championship within five years, to some extent, more than there is now, not to the ludicrous extent that maybe some people would want us to, that is going to mean a little bit more going on, going on the playing budget from external investment, I think. So, look, um, we're not going to massively change our overall strategy, but I would like to think and, and hope that some of the money coming in Maybe reallocated to the football side a little bit more than it is now. Certainly, if we're in if we're in imminent danger of going down, I think that will happen to, or, or, or I think at least could happen to sort of boost us away from the drops in a little bit. But yes, we completely agree. The absolute last thing I would want to uh, condone, or, or certainly the last thing I believe Simon Hallett would would condone, is sort of ludicrous spending beyond that we can afford, and certainly not leverage in a way that's going to you know put the club's future at stake. Absolutely not, no. I, th- I think one thing we haven't taken account of is it's what they call fortune income. And, of course, now we're in the FA Cup third round. If by chance, and I think Shuri's alluded to this, we get a cracking third round draw either home against the top premiership and on the TV or perhaps even better away to a Tottenham or Liverpool or Man United. I think Derek Adams said we made three quarters of a million from the Liverpool game. That at the beginning of January would be a very welcome boost to the transfer coffers and wouldn't affect the other in- infrastructure investment at all. So fortune income is is a, hopefully we get a great FA Cup draw and we get some of that. That'd be brilliant. Yeah, Ramsgate away. It's now not. <laughs> Cray, whatever they're called away. Yeah, Cray Cray Valley paper mills. I'd love to do that. I didn't tick them off when I lived in London, so I'd love to get them away. That's very selfish of me. Just one from me is that obviously thoughts uh, go to Graham Carey and his obviously his wife Rachel um, going through um, what seems like an endless cycle with with um, breast cancer. They're crowdfunding for possible life saving treatment overseas, which will cost in the region of fifty thousand pounds. We've tweeted out a couple of links um, and put it on Facebook and stuff, so you find it there. I'll put it in the the bio of the, the pod as well. Um, I think we'll call that a night. Cheers, guys. Thank Cheers, you. Aaron. Cheers, Aaron. That's the end of another episode of Green and White brought to you by Argyle Life. Before you go, please make sure you drop us a review on whichever podcast platform you are using and make sure you follow us on Twitter at Argyle Life 1886. Cheers. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24 7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. 
This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.